Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Um, I'm thankful to Travis for sharing a little bit of their story, the story of their generosity journey. And, you know, we really do exist to help you thrive in life. And a part of thriving is getting to the place where you trust God with your finances. Now, let me just say to those of you who are new to church, new to city church, I know talking about money can make you feel weird and we don't want you to feel weird. So please consider this service and the programs we offer as our gifts to you. But I do wanna say something to my city church people. I wanna just thank you and, and say that when you give here, it does make a difference. It makes a difference in your life because when you give to the greatest movement ever, the movement that Jesus started, it places your life and your finances in the flow of God's blessing. And that is where you want it to be. But it also makes a difference by allowing us to, to provide these services and programs that change lives. When you give here, lives change here. And you allow us the opportunity to tackle tough issues in life, like the one we're gonna look at this month. Mental health matters. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna be uh, looking at what the scriptures say about mental health matters because mental health matters. Now, the, the statistics may surprise you. These come from the National Institute of Mental Health. The first stat is the one that shocked me the most. Nearly half of us will experience a mental illness during our lifetime. So just pause for a second. Look around the auditorium. Look around the video cafe. Half of us will experience a mental illness. That means half the people you work with will experience a mental illness. Half of the people in your family will experience a mental illness sometime in their lives. One half uh, uh, of mental disorders, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. 44 million people experience a mental illness every year. Uh, half of all mental disorders begin by age 14. So teenagers, this is not just an old people's issue or an adult issue. Mental health impacts our teens and our youth. And then one out of five of us experience an anxiety disorder each year. And so I wanna camp on the anxiety issues. In fact, studies tell us that anxiety-related issues are the number one mental health issue for women, and it's the number two mental health issue for men after substance abuse. And it's not just about adults. Uh, one psychologist found that Currently, today's teenagers, high school teenagers, experience the same level of anxiety as psychiatric ward patients did in the 1950s. And so I do want to say to, to our friends that are teenagers and youth, those of you who may be feeling anxiety, it is real, and we want to come alongside you to help you heal. And so that's what this series is going to be all about, all about, because mental health matters. It matters a lot to me personally. I lost an uncle and a close cousin who both tragically died by suicide. And my, my dad told me that his dad, my grandfather, uh, had uh, what was called in his day a nervous breakdown. And dad told me that grandpa and grandmother went for a long drive through around the country to try to help him heal. And, but my dad told me, he said, son, before you were old enough to really know grandpa, he had changed. He, he was not the same man that I knew growing up. So my grandfather struggled with mental health issues. My wife, Barbara, she, uh, her sister, 
uh, for years struggled with schizophrenia where she heard voices. And then recently, we've walked with Barbara's family as her dad uh, suffered through Alzheimer's disease. Mental health matters. And so before uh, I began this series, I talked to my mom about it, and I asked her if she would be willing for me to share with you a little bit of her struggles with mental illness and mental health. And she not only gave me permission, she encouraged me to do it. She said, Brent, if even one person could be helped by my story and my struggle, I want you to talk to them about it. And so my mom and I together have uh, agreed to share with you a deeply personal part of our family's history and wrestling with mental health issues because we hope it will help you along the way. So my mom struggled for years with a deep, dark depression. I first noticed the signs of it when I was in high school at John Marshall High School. Sometimes I would get home, you know, from my day at school and playing ball with my friends and I, I, we always entered the back door at my house and you walked right into the kitchen and sometimes I'd walk into the kitchen and I would see mom preparing dinner, just weeping. So I knew something was wrong, but honestly, I was a teenage kid, you know. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to help her, but I didn't know what to do, and she didn't know what to do. And then mom told me later that on top of the deep depression she felt, she also felt a lot of shame because she felt like she had no reason to be depressed. I mean, she, she had a good husband, good marriage. We lived in a nice house. They made you know, plenty of money for us. And of course, she had awesome kids. <laughs> so in her mind, she, she felt like she had no reason to feel de uh, depressed. There was no like tragic life situation that would make her feel depressed. So because she was a Christian and she felt depressed, she felt like she was a terrible Christian for feeling depressed with no reason for feeling depressed. You, you, see, you see how she... And so it just, it just heaped a bunch of shame on top of her mental anguish. And so mental health matters a lot to me. And I believe the church plays a role in helping us pursue mental health. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at over these next few weeks. Because City Church, I, I want you to know the City Church is a safe place. It's a safe place for you to get honest about any mental health issues you're facing. It's a, it's a safe place to get real about what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and we will come alongside you and, and pursue mental health together. So this series is for those who are struggling with a mental health issue, maybe with anxieties, maybe with phobias, you know, may, maybe, maybe you're having panic attacks, maybe you feel depressed, and you've been feeling depressed for a while, and you hope that coming to church would help you, I believe we can help you. This series is also for those who have loved ones who are struggling with a, a mental illness. Because, uh, you know, like when I was a teenager, I didn't know what to do. Well, we want, we want to help you know what to do so that you can come alongside loved ones to help them when they're in mental distress. And the other thing I wanna do in this series, I wanna remove the stigmas that get attached to mental health issues especially in the church? Come on. How many of you know that church has not always been a safe place to talk about mental health issues because it might make you sound like you're spiritually weak? Well, City Church is a safe community where we can be honest about any mental health issues that we're feeling or struggling with in our lives. And so 
As, as we get into this series, uh, I, I'm gonna make a couple of promises. I promise that I will not try to be an expert in an area where I am not an expert. You know what I'm saying? Because there's, there's, there's all kinds of expertise that I believe goes into mental health, and I will refer to some other experts to help us along the way. But I, I will say that I am an expert in some areas that do pertain to mental health. And so I'm gonna try to focus on those aspects, right? So that's my first promise. My second promise is that I will not give simplistic answers to complex mental health issues, you know? Because I, I think that's detrimental. So no simplistic answers, it's a complex issue. And we're gonna face that complex issue with all of the complexities of what it takes to pursue mental health, all right? So you ready? Let's, let's begin our journey by, by painting a, like a little bit of a picture of who we are as human beings. And so I'm gonna refer to one of the great thinkers in the Christian uh, church movement. He was one of the first church leaders. His name's the Apostle Paul. And he writes in one of his letters a, a brief description of who we are as human beings. You ready? This is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where he writes, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. So he's talking about peace, bringing peace in your life. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul prays that our, our bodies, our souls, and our spirits will come to a place of peace. And so here Paul is painting a picture that I would, I'd like to call a holistic picture of who we are as human beings. So we are a dynamic mixture of body, soul, and spirit. We're a dynamic mixture of body, which is, you know, obviously it's our body, it's our, it's our five senses, and then it's in our brain, okay? So we are, we're part body. We are also soul. That's the inner part of who we are. The mind, the will, the emotions, those intangible aspects of who we are. And then in, in, the, in the innermost part of our being, we are a spirit being. In fact, it's that part that makes us the most like God because the scriptures say that God is spirit and he is a spirit being. And so uh, it's that part that is most like God. And the reason I'm going into all of this holistic picture is because I think the pursuit of mental health, you can't separate it from who we are physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. You see what I'm saying? It, it all ties together. You can't just pursue mental health without pursuing physical health and spiritual health and emotional health and relational health. And so, uh, and I want us to look at, at people who have expertise in each of those kinds of areas of who we are. And so in preparation for this series, uh, I met with a psychiatrist. Uh, and she was the chief resident at the UT Health Science Center for years here in San Antonio and uh, had a practice for years. She, she worked in hospitals and their trauma units. And uh, doctor, her name is Dr. Roberta Jones. She goes by Birdie. And uh, in fact, uh, and she's a strong believer. And so uh, I've invited Birdie to join me in the third week of this series where we're gonna have a time of Q&A and I'm gonna let her tell a little bit of her own experience with mental health and mental illness and pursuing mental healing. Anyway, when we got together and I was interviewing her and she was giving me advice because I said, you know, help me know what to say, what not to say, you know, what areas should I address? She, she painted a picture, she used a metaphor that I thought was really helpful, so I stole it from her. Uh, she used the, the, the metaphor of a toolbox. 
And she said, you know, a, a toolbox, the reason you have a toolbox is because you need different tools for different issues, right? Like, uh, you don't use a hammer to drive in a screw, you use a screwdriver. And you don't use a wrench, you know, to pry, pry out a nail, you use either the back end of the hammer or you use a pry. You use different tools for different issues, that's the point. And, and her, uh, her, her, uh, the use of that metaphor was to help us paint a picture that there are many tools in the toolbox that we need to use because all of them help us move toward mental health. And so um, we're gonna take advantage of all of the tools in the toolbox because mental health is a multifaceted kind of issue uh, to pursue together. And so I think that their therapists and counselors and psychologists, they have tools that can help us. Uh, psychiatrists and medical doctors, medical professionals, they have tools to help us. And then pastors, priests, and prayer team members, you know, spiritual leaders have tools to help us. And so I want us to take advantage of every tool available to us. So let me tell you why I'm making such a big deal out of this. Because I came across a study in preparation for this series that really bothered me, all right? So this was a study done in 2013, and this study only inter interviewed or surveyed Christians, people who self-identified as Christians. And the study found that 50% of the Christians surveyed believed that prayer and Bible study alone can cure serious mental illness. And that just broke my heart, because it makes me think there might be 50% <laughs> of people who are believers in Jesus who are not taking advantage of all of the other tools available to us today, especially. And you know, the other thing I think happens when, when, when people believe that, it can end up uh, heaping shame on people who do take advantage of those other tools, just like it did to my mom. And so here at City Church, I want us to take advantage of every tool in the toolbox because how many of you know a hammer doesn't fix every problem? And in fact, when you use a hammer, when you need a screwdriver, you can actually cause damage. And so it's, it's City Church, as we pursue this, these mental health matters, we're, we're gonna take a holistic approach and take advantage of every tool available to us, okay? So today I'm gonna give you one tool to help you in your pursuit of mental health, and it's a tool that Jesus surfaces himself. So this is from John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32. So to the Jews who had believed in him, so he's speaking to Jewish people who are believers now, okay? So to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's make sure we understand what's going on here. Jesus uses the metaphor of slavery where people, where people are controlled to, to do things they don't wanna do, to think, uh, think in ways they don't wanna think and to feel things they don't wanna feel. In this context, he was talking about people who were, who were struggling with slave, uh, like slavery to sin, certain sin actions they, that they felt powerless to stop. And maybe you've felt like that before in your life. And he's, he's referring to slavery because if you know the history of the Jewish people, there was a 400 year period where they were slaves in Egypt. And so he knew that picture would stick with them and when you're a slave, you're controlled to do what you don't wanna do 
and act in ways you don't wanna act. And that's Jesus' point with this metaphor. And so Jesus is teaching a way to break free, to experience freedom in life. And that's part of why we exist here at City Church is to help you find freedom. And, and so this is the, the key truth he taught. If you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth. It's about something you know. And something you know is what actually sets you free. It's what breaks you free, and it allows you to, to act and to feel in different kinds of ways. Now, I do want to pause for a moment and acknowledge something, uh, and that is that here, Jesus does equate his teaching with the truth, and that's a pretty bold statement to make, and so I want to acknowledge to those of you who still aren't sure what you think about Christianity or Jesus yet, that that's a pretty bold statement. And I just want you to know, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. This is a safe community for you. Even if you don't believe what we believe, you're welcome here. That's just part of exploring our faith. But I, I do want you to know that here at City Church, we really do believe Jesus is the Son of God. And we really do believe that his teachings are the truth. And that the truth he taught can set us and so Jesus uh, uh, is teaching us that the truth is a part. It's one of the tools that can set us free. And the truth is all about belief systems and how our belief systems can impact the way we think and how we feel and act. And so at this point, I am going to turn to another expert. Uh, this is a, a clinical psychologist who did extensive research into the way our brains and our belief systems that, that, that we, you know, what we believe impact how we feel and what we do and how we view life. So anyway, his name is Dr. David Stoop. He, he is also a believer uh, and he wrote a great book. It's one of the best books on mental health I've ever read. It's called Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And so Dr. Stoop did extensive research on the mechanics of our brains and, and how our belief systems impact how we act and how we feel. And, uh, and so he said, what you believe, he said a lot of times people don't pay attention to their inner belief systems, but he said what you believe greatly impacts how you feel and what you think and, and how you act. And so he gave some examples. He said like, if you think the world stinks and that people can't be trusted, well, that's gonna impact the way you feel about life. It's gonna impact the way you process life. If you believe that you're stupid or you're worthless or you don't matter in this world, those beliefs will impact the way you feel and how you act and how you think and how you process life. And so Dr. Stoop's research found that you can actually change the way you feel and how you act by changing what you think. In fact, he says when you embrace a new belief system, what goes on in your brain, brain literally is it creates these chemical pathways, like these chemical grooves in your brain that create a new channel where flows of thought go through those new channels. See where I'm going? It's all, to, it's all tied together. And he says that you can actually retrain your brain by, by embracing, by consciously embracing new belief systems. And so just to... to to help you understand how this ties into the church, you know, I said the church plays a role in all of this. One of the reasons we gather each week to sing songs of truth 
and to study the scriptures, to study the truth of the scriptures, is because we're trying to help all of us embrace belief systems that can change our lives. It's like literally when we're singing a song like Scott saying, you know, how much God loves us. If we really believe that, embrace that, it does something in our brains that is positive for how, how we experience and embrace life. Okay, so holding on to truth matters. And, and it matters in our lives. And so uh, I want to give you a couple of practical ways to actually do this. Because I know I'm, I'm talking sort of up here, holding on to truth. That sounds pretty philosophical. So I'm going to give you a couple of practical ways that you hold on to truth. The first one, the Apostle Paul addresses in a letter, we call it 2 Corinthians, he's writing to believers who are, who are wrestling with how some false teachings were causing them to, act, to think and act in certain ways that were detrimental, and he gives them this powerful tool. You ready? This is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. He says, the weapons we fight with, and he's using weapons the same way I'm using tools, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, our arguments. We demolish pretension, that every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So there's this divinely powerful tool that we have, and it's our ability to take every thought captive. Now, you, you may have thought that you don't control what your brain thinks. I mean, your brain just thinks what it thinks and you don't have control of it. Actually, that's not true. Did you know you can take thoughts captive? Did you know you can take untrue thoughts, hurtful thoughts, self-loathing thoughts? You can take them captive. You can take captive angry thoughts or bitter thoughts or depressed thoughts or even suicidal thoughts. You can take those thoughts captive. So how does that work? How does that work? Here's what I believe, what I believe Paul is talking about here. When you can tell, when you have a like self-awareness, I'm thinking a negative thought, I'm thinking a hurtful thought, I'm thinking an untrue thought, a negative, you know, a, a life-sucking thought. You can stop yourself and, and, and you can either say it out loud or just say it to yourself. No, no, that is not true. That is not what I believe. I don't believe that's the truth about who I am, about what God thinks of me, or about the people around me, or about my world. No, I take that thought captive. And so I want to empower you and encourage you as a part of holding on to truth. The only way you can hold on to truth is if you get those negative and untruthful thoughts and you gotta take them captive. Second practical way of holding on to truth that Paul presents, he, he uh, does it in his letter to Philippian believers. And in the context, he's talking to believers who are struggling with anxious thoughts. And so can we just acknowledge that even believers can struggle with anxious thoughts? And so he's writing to believers who are struggling with that and he gives them this, uh, the other side of this powerful tool of holding on to truth. So he writes in Philippians 4 verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, who, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, get this, think such things. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And get this, and the God of peace will be with you. So you see what Paul's saying there? You can take negative, 
untrue, life-sucking thoughts captive and say, no, I don't believe it. And you can embrace and hold on to thoughts that are truthful and lovely and praiseworthy and excellent. You see where I'm going with this? You take thoughts, that's how you hold on to truth. You take negative thoughts, hurtful thoughts, untrue thoughts captive, and you hold on and choose to think positive, life-affirming, life-breathing thoughts. And it'll change the way you feel. And so now I'm gonna get like really practical on how I want us to do this. I want us all to do this. And so I'm gonna give you a very practical tool where you, you can take negative thoughts captive and you can hold on to true thoughts as a regular part of your life, sort of like working out in your brain. And so I'm gonna go back to Dr. Stoops. Uh, in, his, in his research, as I mentioned to you, he says you can actually retrain your brain and its impact on how you feel and how you, impact, uh, how, how you feel impacts your life. And he said one of the tools that, that psychologists have discovered is that it, it, it's a way of changing the way you think and changing your brain. And it, it uh, happens through a practice they call focused attention. Dr. Stoop writes, we live in an age with short attention spans. People's minds wander if they are not stimulated constantly. And, and here in the book, he talks about cell phones, iPads, computer screens, TV screens, how we're just, con we have this constant information coming. And he says, it's doing damage to our brains and the way we're thinking. And so, uh, he says, this lack of being able to focus attention works against our brain's health and our being able to retrain our minds. And so what Dr. Stoops uh, encourages in his book is that we return to the ancient spiritual practice that was true in the Jewish religion and of the Christian religion uh, of what is called scripture meditation. That's focus attention. Where you focus on a word or a phrase or a picture from scripture that is true and you hold on to it. And so uh, early in my spiritual journey, one of my spiritual mentors taught me the power of scripture meditation, and he got that discipline into my life. And I think it's been a part of, of my own maintenance of my mental health. And so what I'm asking you to do is to bring this spiritual practice into your life. It's called scripture meditation. And so I try to do it, so 10 minutes a day, I try to do it four or five days a week. I usually do it in the morning but you find the time that works for you. And, and here's, here's how it works. You have to get alone. You have to turn off the TV, turn off the music, turn off your phone or, or leave it in another room. Get somewhere where you can be silent and alone. Uh, my spiritual mentor actually likes to meditate while he's walking, so maybe that would help you. Uh, and, and what you do is you read a portion of scripture until you come across a truth or a value or a belief or even a, a picture that, that expresses truth. And once you have that, you meditate on it. You just think about it. Sometimes I just read the verse over and over out loud, and I'll just let it influence the way I think, the way I view my relationship with God, the way I view my relationship with others, the way I view the world, and the way I view me. And I let the truth begin to saturate my mind, and I hold on to that belief, and I let that belief shape the way I think and the way I feel. Folks, I believe if you will work this spiritual practice in your life, it will become one of the tools that helps us as we pursue mental health uh, issues and health together, right? Mental health matters to me. 
during the darkest seasons of my mom's depression, she told me that she considered thoughts of suicide to end her pain, even though she's a Christian. And so I asked her, I said, Mom, how come you didn't do it? I mean, what, you know, what led you not to do it? And this is what she told me. She said, I did not believe that's what God wanted me to do. I didn't believe it was the right thing for my family or for me, and so I didn't do it. And she told me no matter how much anguish she felt, and she felt a lot of pain, she held, she held on to that truth. And by holding on to the truth, it saved my mom's life. And, and don't misunderstand me, my mom pursued the other tools too. She talked to her doctor about what she was thinking and feeling, and she, you know, she took advantage of every tool out there, but bottom line, her belief system gave her the strength to hold on to truth and to her life. That was 40 years ago. Uh, tomorrow, my mom turns 79, and uh, my mom and dad, yeah. My mom and dad watch the services online, and so, uh, mom, I just want to say to you, happy birthday, I love you, and thank you for pursuing mental health uh, in your life. And uh, thank you for setting such a good example to me as a person and as a pastor. And you know, God is not shocked or surprised by our struggles with mental health. I mean, you know, he created us. He knew we would struggle. And I want you to know that if even today you are struggling with the mental health issue, God loves you right now just the way you are, just the way you're feeling, just the way you're thinking. And he wants to come alongside you and help you pursue healing and health. And so I asked Scott and the band if we could conclude by doing you know, what I talked about earlier, singing a song of truth. This is gonna be like a truth meditation. And let the, the words of this song and the truth of this song, believe it. Let it help you in your journey toward mental health. And so, uh, Lord, I lift up those who are listening here in the auditorium, online, those in the video cafe. And Lord God, my prayer is that as we hold on to truth, what, you, what we believe about your love for us, and your compassion for us, I pray that, that what we believe would give us inner strength to get through any dark season we face in life. I pray for mental health and mental healing for all who are hearing my voice. God bless you in Jesus' name. God, you know and love the deepest parts of me, the side that no one else can see, what I've buried underneath. Nothing I could do would make you turn away. No, you never hide your face. Oh, you are the safest place. Things that I'm afraid to say
You can 